Welcome back to In the Q, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Andrew, and I can't think of many modern directors who have such varying subject matter in their filmography as Bong Joon-ho. Uh, every film is, is very different from the last, and yet still feels like it's made by the same person. It's really an impressive feat, I think, in, uh, in direction these days. And uh, mm. and I think he accomplishes it. Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, in regards to the movie we're talking about today, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal delivers a very <laughs> over-the-top performance. He does. Which is funny because the first time we see him in the film, he's literally climbing over the top of a mountain. Ah, that he is. Uh, in case you're wondering out there, folks, uh, what film we're talking about today, the film is Okja, uh, the new film by Bong Joon-ho. And... Uh, simultaneously released in theaters and on Netflix, um, which has become a, a growing trend in films. We've talked about it with a couple of the other movies that we've uh, had on this podcast uh, in the last year or so. Uh, it is a listener request, uh, despite the fact that we actually solicited this particular listener to talk to us about this film. That listener is Jasper, who's on the show today. Say hi to everybody, Jasper. Hey, everyone. And hey. Thank- hey. Andrew and Phil, thank you guys for having me, yeah. hello listeners. Yeah, definitely. We're excited to have you. We're excited to, to talk about this movie in particular uh, with you. Uh, but before we do that, I want to just tell everybody how they can find us on the web. If you haven't already found us, you can go to our website, which is www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com, post all of our episodes there. And in addition, we, you can leave us comments or you can recommend films that you would like us to talk about. And if you do that, we'll have you on the show like Jasper is today to talk about the film. It can be movies you hate, movies you love, movies that you feel totally ambivalent about, um, anything in between. Uh, additionally, you can find us on Facebook by searching for In The Q, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. You can like our page there, and we will fill up your newsfeed with all of our new episodes, as well as additional supplemental materials we might post. You can engage us in conversation on Twitter uh, by searching for at ITQ Podcast. That's our Twitter handle. Or you can subscribe to our podcast using any of your uh, podcast aggregating apps out there like uh, Podcast, Overcast, or iTunes. And then every single episode will be delivered straight to you. Uh, no waiting, no must, no fuss. And we always love it when our listeners give us good reviews on iTunes. So, uh, so get out there, or any of the podcast aggregators for that matter, get out there and give us a good review. And uh, Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, that's the whole deal, right? I think that's it. Great. Sounded good to me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, without any further ado, today's film, as I said, is Okja. We needed a miracle. And then we got one. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste fucking good. Miranda rescued Okja and bring her back to you. Ten years in planning, on the cusp of a product that will feed millions. And what happens? That farmer girl is going to destroy us. You should know the situation is not good. Each night before you go to bed. Little white 
Mm, great song for the trailer there. Oh, yeah. I love um, that song. Such a good Mom song. Mama's in the Papas. Such a great song. Um, and it plays uh, in the film, or over the credits at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, just going to give you a very brief sort of uh, plot summary for this film, and then we'll get into the conversation uh, at hand. Um, essentially, the film is about um, a, a corporation. The name of the corporation is the Mirando Corporation. Uh, it is Its figurehead is played by Tilda Swinton as Lucy Mirando, if I'm not mistaken, uh, right, and she at also least, plays her twin. Yes, <laughs> Nancy Mirando. Um, uh, and what they've done is, as it was explained in that trailer, they've developed a, uh, a breed of super pigs that they've sent to various different places all over the world uh, to compete in a super pig contest. And these pigs are uh, these gigantic, adorable creatures um, that are a new way to feed the world. Um, they consume very little. They produce very little uh, harmful excretions, as she says. And um, there's kind of a publicity stunt that's put together, which is that they will raise these pigs all over the the world, and then in 10 years' time, we'll have a best pig competition and uh, compare all of the pigs that have been raised and uh, and, and pick a winner. Um but behind the scenes, of course, they will be slaughtering those pigs for food to feed the world. And uh, our young heroine in the film, uh, a young woman by the name of Mija, uh, is has been raising this pig for as long as nearly as long as she's been alive. And um, when the co- competition comes to an end, they come to take her pig away. Her pig, of course, is the titular Okja. And they come to take her pig away and take uh, her to be uh, at the competition in mm-hmm. America. And the content of the film is the journey that she goes on in order to rescue Okja from not only the competition, but the inevitable slaughterhouse to follow so that's kind of the loose structure of the film uh jasper i came to you to talk about this movie because i knew that you've been excited about it i know that you're a big fan of modern korean cinema uh to be sure and of bong joon ho to be sure um and uh uh so uh give us an idea of of what uh, what about this film makes you want to talk about it on the podcast? Made you agree to to my invitation? No, of course. And I think you made the right call because this probably is perhaps my favorite film so far this year. Oh, wow. So I just think conceptually, this is like just a bizarre film. It's a $50 million straight to Netflix movie, mostly in Korean, where the major stars are all in costume and makeup so you can't even identify them sure about an an animal called a super pig and you know it's basically a cartoon throughout even though it goes for you know some more emotional moments it's just an odd hodgepodge of you know all these different genres it's just sure like someone should be fired for greenlighting this movie (laughs) and like it's kind of and it's kind of amazing that it works. You know, for the past few months, I've been talking to people about a cure for wellness, which yeah. cost less than this and was less successful of a film and less bizarre. But I was kind of blown away by how weird it was that that was even made. Yeah. With Okja, it's even more extreme, and it also happens to be a much, much better film. Right. So, right. yeah, I think just everything about this film is insane, and I can't believe it actually works. I think that it also uh, points to a trend with uh, streaming services, in particular Netflix, where you're getting more adventurous content uh, yeah. coming into our homes, uh, maybe even less in the theaters, but more more via streaming. And you know, this movie was was a huge controversy at, at the Cannes Film Festival because I believe it was the first Netflix movie ever shown at Cannes. Yeah. And when yeah. the when the Netflix logo came up everybody started booing i think because they saw they see streaming as a threat to the cinema sure right. um 
I saw it in theaters here in New York, and yeah. when the Netflix logo came on before the movie, I think everyone chuckled because it's <laughs> surreal to see that Netflix logo that we all know so well on a big screen. Yeah, definitely. Did you did you see it? Where did you see it, Jasper? I saw it at um, the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Yeah, I same went here. Op- I went on opening nights. I bought tickets in advance because I was convinced it would sell out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I probably shouldn't have bought all the tickets I did, but... Well, to be fair, <laughs> um, I just went to see it this past weekend, and it was still a crowded theater. Um, oh, no Okja. Yeah. Well, yeah I was, Andrew, I'm so curious. Why did you decide to see it in the theater? Because I know you have Netflix. Oh, yeah, sure. I have Netflix. But, I mean, I would always rather see something in the theater than at home, even though I have a nice setup at home and I, I enjoy watching movies. In that setup, I would always, 100% of the time, rather watch something on the big screen. And especially from a filmmaker like Bong Joon-ho, who makes movies that are, uh, as you say, Jasper, very bizarre and uh, oftentimes uh, way over the top in a lot of ways that can sometimes work and sometimes not work so well. Um, But they're cinematic experiences. It feels like something that I should see in a theater, um, you know, Whereas, you know, watching just a, a talky rom-com or something, I don't necessarily feel like that right. uh, deserves gotcha. a theatrical experience. Well, right. it's funny. At Cannes, they also had Netflix's, they had a second Netflix movie, which is the new Bombach film, mm-hmm. which I feel like people were less upset about that going to Netflix. Yeah. Because, you know, that's not the the $50 million giant pig movie. Yeah. Um, also, there was also some controversy because... Uh, the aspect ratio that Okja was projected in at Cannes was incorrect. Oh. And there was, there was even like uh, some like jittering and freeze framing going on during the opening credits. Oh, no. And so the film actually stalled at the wrong aspect ratio. It was a big disaster. And it, uh, it just caused minutes and minutes of continued booing. Um, and I remember going on to IMDb around the time of Cannes because I'd heard of this new film, Okja, and I was curious how it was doing. And it had a very mediocre rating at the time, I think because of the disastrous premiere. But now it's it's gone up to a good rating. Of, it's at 7.6 right now out of 10. So it's I think the, the content of the film is is definitely, you know, something to something worthwhile, even if the initial uh, you know projection of it was skewed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, there are a million stories of, of films that either are critically lauded at film festivals or panned at film festivals or booed at film festivals that turn out to be really great films or really miserable films, the opposite end of the spectrum of how they were received at Cannes or at any of the other uh, film festivals. Um, yeah. I, I'm thinking even last year of Birth of a Nation uh, coming out and being this you know, huge thing. It was it was bought for a uh, record-breaking sum of money uh, coming out of the Sundance Film Festival, and everybody there gave it a standing ovation, thought it was the greatest film. And then when it actually hit theaters, not only had it over, been overtaken by the controversy of its filmmakers, but it also turned out not to be that great a film, uh, which kind of, you know, uh, I mean, it's kind of the inverse of, of this film. Um, Hot takes can cool and they can yes. be totally different <laughs> yeah it's finally if you look at like your top 10 list from five years ago you can often find yourself thinking like you know what was i thinking I'm, I'm even looking at last year's top 10 list yeah. and i'm like oh man what oh uh, i yeah, keep saying so, that i you know, should have put crecia in there and i uh, it's bugging me like every day i'm like oh crecia should have been on yeah. my list so yeah me coming back to up to a month and a half later and you know perhaps we'll all hate it we'll have <laughs> the opposite opinion but maybe um, maybe yeah, I just think when you aren't under the pre- under pressure to have the first tweet out there as a yeah. critic or, you know, to hit a deadline four hours after you've screened it, you're going to have more time to simmer on it. You know, the audience is going to view it in a different context than a film festival critic will. Sure. So, you know, I'm glad, but I'm glad that, you know, audiences are responding more favorably to it now on IMDb because I was, it's a weird movie. I was really, I was concerned that, you know, it's a person who chances upon it on Netflix will just find it a bit strange, you know. Sure, it's sure. largely in Korean, even though it's not really advertised as being in that, because, mm-hmm. you know, you should, you should if you're a marketer, hide the fact that it's foreign language. Yeah. Um, well, and it stars two of the the 
icons of weird cinema, weird modern cinema, Paul Dano and Tilda Swinton, who are both large risk takers with the kinds mm-hmm. of movies that they do. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal a little bit less so, but I was glad to see him in this film, even though, and we can get to talking about this in a little bit, I find his performance to be a little bit grating in this film but uh, he's, he's having fun he, he's yeah, got a oh, really yeah, he's... weird ensemble in this movie i mean like the different not only are the just the actors themselves so all over the spectrum but their acting styles are so different too yeah. and you've got like paul dano who is not so much acting as he is like adopting this weird bedside manner where he talks <laughs> to this little girl like he's a doctor or something yeah and you got jake gyllenhaal was so over the top but really fun to watch even though he's trying too hard sure You've got other people like Giancarlo Esposito, who are just kind of yeah. barely, you know, delivering a performance. Or Stephen Stephen Yun, who's playing just like a, a a great character that I felt was very different from Glenn, who's he, of course he's known for most in, by American yeah. audiences for playing Glenn in The Walking Dead. Um, like all all yeah, it is kind of all over the place, and I think that that. I think that pretty well describes Bong Joon-ho's directorial style most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, even Snowpiercer, which we talked about on this podcast, um, you know, I, I mentioned in, in our conversation about that film how kind of, you know, how it would have these wild tonal shifts and, and it felt very different. And there were moments that I felt like were were intended to work really well that didn't work quite as well as... I had hoped that they would, um, and I, I feel like that happens with a lot of Bong Joon-ho's films, especially the more fantastic ones. The Host, which of course was his big, kind of, I guess, North American breakout film. Um, I, I always felt that way about that film, which was, uh, you know, another computer-generated creature film, <laughs> if you if you True, will. True, yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the, there's something kind of remarkable about Okja, the the super pig itself too, as far as the, the CG animation goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is probably the, the closest that any film has come to making me really feel something for a computer generated yeah. character, uh, specifically yes. an animal in this case. And I think the technology has come far. It's not quite there yet. In my opinion, there was really only one moment, uh, in the film where I kind of forgot the fact that Okja was a complete fabrication and actually felt like genuine sadness and empathy for the character, quote unquote. And it was the moment when um, it was really brief, really quick shot when Okja was in that um, kind of like that, like holding cell or whatever. And and she was about to be prodded or something. Um, And I think uh, Paul Dano and his fellow um, activists were watching this on some kind of video feed. Yeah. Um, and then, and then there was this this shot of his Okja's like eye, and uh, there yeah. was something about it that I was like, wow, you know, it's like they're not trying to really dazzle us with the elaborate um, contours and and texture of this character. They're just focusing on the eyes, and uh, just the, the fact that it was also kind of juxtaposed with these other shots, knowing that Okja was about to get really hurt, mm. that made it kind of more powerful. But apart from that, the shots of Okja in the beginning when she's hanging out with Mija and there she's drinking water from this pond and catching fish, like all that stuff is very pretty. Uh, but still, it's like it doesn't quite match the level of affection that you would feel for like E.T. Because, you know, E.T. is, is physically there. Right. It's- it's interesting you say that because um, I was watching this film and, you know, I probably don't love E.T. as strongly as the rest of America <laughs> does. Yeah. But, you know, I think this is this. It's kind of like a standard kid in a dog movie, which is a genre that's tried and true. We get one of them every season, it feels like. Sure. And I responded to Okja more strongly than I do to pretty much any other kid and dog film. And I think, you know, the computer generation may help with that. But I also think what's interesting is they make Okja a character, and I would really emphasize with it. You know, in those opening scenes, I really got, I, I felt as though I understood this character. Yes, it's a super pig, which is an animal that isn't real, so I don't know it. Sure. But, you know, th- it was an intelligent animal. It rescues the girl in a way using 
physics that I would never have thought to be able to do while also demonstrating compassion. I thought they did a really good job kind of establishing the super pig and Octa specifically as a character. And that really helped me, you know, kind of sympathize with the with Okja's story throughout. And, you know, perhaps yeah. I perhaps I decide with fat characters that eat and fart all the time. Perhaps I <laughs> sympathize with it. But no, I really, you know, it was interesting because from those opening shots, really, while they're just doing nothing in the forest where we where we meet Okja, I found myself, you know, really sympathizing with her. It's a her. Yeah. I found myself mm-hmm. sympathizing with her. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I did too. And I, I, you know, not to continue to sort of self-promote here, but we did a, an episode not long <laughs> ago uh, about Pete's Dragon on this podcast, right? The original Pete's Dragon, which right. is a, a, a mixture of live animation. I mean, live action and, and, you know, pen and ink animation. Right. Um, and it is, you know, the, the character of Pete's Dragon in that film has so much personality and so much uh, really, you know, it just sort of leaps out and you never really, you never really question the fact that it's, an animated creature. Once you, once you've been introduced to this idea, you, you just accept it and you kind of move through and Phil, you know, as much as anybody that I am a huge stickler for special effects and, and when Mm -hmm. they do and don't work and when they don't work, I tend to hate movies uh, that rely on them too heavily because if they don't work, then that just, it means you're constantly at a distance from the film and you can't immerse yourself in it because the special effects are too ostentatious or, or they don't work. Um, they don't feel real. They don't feel like they have any weight or, or presence. Um, but in this film, I, while the, the special effects are ostentatious to a, to a certain degree in that Okja is in a complete fabrication of a computer, um, I felt like all of the integration with the live-action material was all but seamless um, by the time you get late in the film. By the time I got to the end of the film, it wasn't even something I was thinking about anymore at all in the same way that in Pete's dragon, by the time you, you know, they're singing songs together, you're, uh, you're, you're sold <laughs> on the movie, mm-hmm. you know, you're sold <laughs> on the character. Um, so as somebody who is, who is a self-professed, uh, CG hater, <laughs> um, I really, I, I didn't find much to be bothered by in this film. I found Okja to be a very alive and interesting creation. Um, and, and what's more, that kind of uh, emotion that Okja conjures up within us as the viewers, I feel like is, it isn't arbitrary, right? It's in service to the plot. It's in service to the kind of themes that Bong Joon-ho is dealing with and the kind of uh, point that he's trying to make, the stance that he's trying to take, which I think that it's undeniable that this film has a distinct point of view uh, vis-a-vis factory farming, vis-a-vis commodification uh, vis-a-vis uh, eating meat capitalism general, yeah eating meat in general um, but but even even more so the greater machine that feeds our our appetite for meat and for greed and you know whatever else um, sure. there's a really powerful moment near the end which um, I think we should issue a spoiler alert just in case anybody doesn't want to have too much revealed but yeah uh, the I was really kind of um, kind of like struck at what the film ultimately seems to be saying because in the film uh, the little girl manages to rescue Okja and you know that's that's great hooray she's accomplished her goal and she she's walking with Okja away from the you know the containment area where all the other super pigs are trapped who will die and the, the, all those other guys aren't escaping right but uh, but Okja gets to survive, and then it ends with Okja living happily back where she came from in the mountains with her with Mija. And it's kind of like, well, this is a story about one super pig, you know, and one little girl who manages to save one pig, but the larger picture remains unchanged. Uh, yeah. As far as I remember, the Mirando Corporation doesn't get toppled or are overturned all those other animals could not be saved and that's that's kind of a sad thing sure but it's almost like well at least we could save okja and that's kind of what the 
the, the yeah. takeaway is. Although I'll ask you, Phil, the same thing that I've asked you many times before. Did <laughs> you sit through the credits? I did. So there's a bit of a, an optimistic coda to this film. That comes at the end of the credits. For the Avengers, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the new Ultra Cinematic Universe. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, God, no. Um, although this would probably be preferable to the, the other cinematic universes that they're desperately trying to <laughs> launch at this moment in time. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd much rather have a Bong Joon-ho cinematic universe than a, a, a dark universe, universal dark universe cinematic universe. Right. We'll see if that still happens. Yeah, well, yeah, after The Mummy, who knows? It may have tanked that idea. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're I think you're spot on, Phil. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it, it... And I think that this is actually in line with Bong Joon-ho's kind of uh, worldview, at least in, in all of his films that I've seen, and I haven't seen them all. Um, but I've seen this, I've seen Snowpiercer, I've seen The Host, I've seen Mother, I've seen Memories of Murder, um, all of which are really interesting, really fascinating movies. Uh, I would say my favorite of those is probably Mother, which is an extraordinary film, I think. Um, Mother's fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, but it is also, it, it probably more than any of his other films, uh, except for maybe Memories of Murder, uh, doesn't rely on any visual trickery or special effects or anything like that. It's just a, it's a straight story mm-hmm. um, being told. Uh, and it's very compelling for that. But all of his films have a mixture of, of gallows humor and uh, a dose of pessimism. Um, they all exist in, in kind of miserable universes uh, that don't necessarily have a happy ending for the people existing in those universes, but the stories all, always tend to be satisfying in the end in a weird mm-hmm. way, Does if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The only other Bong Joon-ho film that I've actually seen, I have to admit, is Snowpiercer. So there's definitely a lot of uh, other things out there that I could that I can't really refer to, but... Uh, Snowpiercer itself is is so weird and 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 dark, uh, kind of like Okja, and I, not exactly the same, but um, I think that the uh, the idea that like you know you can't it seems to be saying you can't save the world, but you can at least grab a piece of it to keep yourself happy, mm. um, and it's kind of a that's kind of a pessimistic or that message is not really as uh, uplifting or or as lofty as other boy and dog movies that we've seen. You know, it's like, sure, you know, you may be able to keep yourself happy for a little while longer, but look at all these other things that you have no power to control or change. It's like finding your own happiness within a world that is kind of gone. Yeah. Um, you know, with Mija here too, the you know, animals are going to continue to be butchered, but at least she finds her happiness. Her personal relationship is maintained. Right. Um, and I think I, the only other I've seen Snowpiercer and Mother. Actually, I haven't seen The Host. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mother also kind of has a similar bittersweet ending, where you know, the whole world isn't a better place. It may actually be slightly worse. Right. But you know, with some twisted perception of the main character there may be a happy ending for that character at least yeah so. yeah and I, I think that that's it's, it's a curious thing in uh, modern sort of spectacular cinema and I say spectacular meaning films that are feature spectacle as part of them I mean Bong Joon-ho I think is unquestionably somebody who enjoys uh, putting spectacle on display for his audience yeah, there's flair to it. There's there's a uh, a definite uh, <laughs> there's a definite je ne sais quoi about it. You know, there's something about his films where I mean, uh, we'll get to this in a minute. But there's an interesting use of music in this film that actually reminded me of another film that we talked about recently on this podcast. Again, not to self promote, but uh, um, but yeah, he he has a certain flair uh, about him. Um, but it's unique to have. Uh, 
this amount of sort of directorial uh, uh, showing off mm-hmm. and also have uh, such an incredibly uh, dark worldview. I mean, I guess maybe not. I mean, Kubrick is, as well, we have met, I, said many I times. <laughs> I would clarify that maybe his his worldview is not as dark as his view of Western civilization is, America in particular, because well, the worldview in the mountains with Grandpa and that's true. all that greenery is quite idyllic. That's true. Um, that's where the happiness really lies at the beginning and the end. But the Americans come across as looking terrible. Even the ones who are supposedly trying to help Okja, sure, Paul Dano and those guys. Like I think right. the fact that Bong Joon-ho is is not a Native American. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, yes. <laughs> has this detached perspective on the United States. Uh, he mercilessly satirizes it. He satirizes that kind of corporate mentality that's so prominent in America that's also kind of seeping out the rest of the world. Sure. Uh, I mean, Tilda Swinton is not American, but she adopts an American accent for her character. I think that uh, he's taking a really pessimistic view of what the United States is doing. Uh, and but the you know the mountains of Korea or wherever they are at the beginning and the end, yeah, those seem to remain like paradise. Yeah, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Um, and I think that they, uh, I, 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 it may not even be America as much if you look across his films uh, at things like The Host and uh, and Mother to some extent, and certainly Snowpiercer. It's not necessarily. Um, it, it's it's like the it's almost the caste system right it's it's uh the rich the wealthy the the well to do exploit those who don't have the means or the uh ability to mm-hmm. uh make those kinds of decisions you know i mean this is literally a huge multinational conglomerate coming in and taking this thing away from this idyllic universe um where it's living happily and they're living happily so yeah i mean i think netflix is is a decent place for filmmakers to really explore some of these themes like it reminds me of uh once again not tutor and horn but (laughs) when ava duvernay made 13th for netflix and that took a very critical eye towards american history um and you know I, i think in general uh Streaming offers different opportunities for people to kind of explore some themes that you wouldn't necessarily see in theaters. Although, of course, Okja was simultaneously released in theaters as well. Um, But I think at the same time, though, it's kind of these themes that we've just been talking about for the last few minutes are almost sneakily inserted into a heartwarming narrative about (laughs) a little girl and her super pig. You know, it's like uh, there's there's a there's a satirical subtext to Okja that um, will is really resonant. Uh, but at the same time, the big takeaway is probably just a love story between this very very determined little girl and her beloved pet. Yeah, something that you just brought up, which I actually wanted to bring up too, is you know it is that at its core. But it's kind of hidden beneath all the fun and mayhem of the film, you know. I think this, this film is a cartoon all the way through. I mean, it's live action. It's not literally a cartoon. Right, right. Anyone at home doesn't know that. But, you know, it's cartoonish. Even in the most chaotic moments, you know, guns will have um, fuses that coil ridiculously. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it is a party throughout. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal never turns off. It, no. yeah. throughout, the, throughout the whole movie it's right. a lot of fun and then when it hits you how what is going on you know when the emotional climax hits you individually like it's it happens amidst you know something that is very cartoonish yeah you know, it's part of the strength of the film yeah i i when you say that i think of that uh that scene where the the uh liberators the animal liberation front um alf alf first uh first comes to uh, Nab Okja, and they there's that whole really bizarre interaction that they have, 
with it's like the, an anime. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so strange when they pull up alongside and they're like, "Hi," and they're wearing the masks and they open the side door yeah. and they're like, "We're gonna come in now. This is gonna, you know." And it's such a it's such a strange, like nobody acts normal, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or at least I, I should say nobody acts in the way that you would expect them to act in this kind of a situation or this kind of a film or this kind of a an action sequence, right? It feels uh, like Cowboy Bebop more than yeah. real life. Yeah, it really does. Uh, oh, man, I need to go back and watch Cowboy Bebop. It's been too long. <laughs> um, love it so much. Uh, yeah, and, and that actually, uh, that sort of comic uh, cartoonish nature brings me to the point that I said I was going to talk about a moment ago, which is um, when they're defending Ocha in this... Uh, mall where Okja has kind of like wrecked this store. Um, and, and they, they're opening up these umbrellas to defend Okja from these guys who are shooting tranquilizer darts at her. Um, and over the, well, not even, it's not even, it's not diegetic. It's completely non-diegetic. It's Annie's song, the John Denver song starts to play and plays over this long section of action um, and it's so incongruous in like a weird and wonderful way. Um, and, and the reason that I said earlier, Phil, that I wanted to bring it up and it wasn't uh, a- another instance of self-promotion, even though it may sound like it at this point. Uh, <laughs> we talked about the fact that in Free Fire, they used the same piece of music yeah. uh, several times. They? Yeah, they, that was, it was playing on the, the radio in the van the whole time. Um, I haven't seen Free Fire because no one saw Free Fire, but <laughs> that is I, think, true. I think we were the only ones. We the group. I think we were. Yeah, oh. I th- actually, I think incongruous is the right term, but I wouldn't even use incongruous in a positive way in this case. I thought Annie's <laughs> song was much better used in Free Fire than in Okja. And uh, maybe there is a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, I know that I don't, I, it's quite possible that this wasn't an intentional thievery on the part of the the people who made Okja. I mean, I know Annie's song has been used in movies before Free Fire sure. as well. But I think it's the me, third it, time I've seen a movie this year with Annie's song in it, which is a very strange. Yeah. Thing to me it just happened. didn't it didn't really have the desired effect. Um, it you know like with in Free Fire it just seems so much more poignant uh, because you're watching people shoot each other into pieces. Uh in Okja, you're watching a, an animal kind of tear through a mall. And I know this kind of stuff is really subjective as to why certain music gets chosen and why it works for some people and others it doesn't. But uh, for some reason, it just it seemed to kind of exist not as a part of the scene, but outside, uh, distant from it. It seemed a little too, a little too disjointed for me to, for it to really gel, I thought. Sure. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, I love that song, and I love John Denver oh, in yeah. general. I love um, that song as well. <laughs> uh, and I found that it worked on me in a strange way. Um, in, in fact, in a way that it didn't work for me in Free Fire. Um, mm-hmm. Free Fire just seemed more arbitrary because, like, hey, it's in the 70s. Let's do any song. Like, that's that would be a silly thing to have playing while people are shooting each other. Wait, how is um, it less arbitrary in this case? I'm not saying it's less arbitrary. I'm just saying it's it just worked better for me. I don't have an explanation for it. <laughs> it just worked. Interesting. Better. Well, because in 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 Free Fire, like it was at least part of that era, you know, well, an eight track. Yeah, era. and it was it was diegetic as well. It was playing on the radio in the van that was there at the location. Right. In this case, it's not even mall music. It's just non diegetic sound, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. Um, also, incidentally, uh, the that Mamas and the Papas tune. It's the second movie we've watched in just a few weeks, Phil, that that uh, was was used in a film. The other one was The One I Love, the, the movie that we saw oh, right, over the credits right, at the yeah. end of that film. Um, yeah. I'm just getting all this, this repetition of songs and all the movies I'm seeing. Seriously, it's crazy. this is such a meta podcast. <laughs> I just think that Okja's music supervisor probably listens to you guys, so. Oak <laughs> <laughs> yeah. music supervisor is like, let's put it in a third movie this year, so that Andrew will be really, really confused. And they'll yeah. submit it as the as the listeners, the viewers' choice. <laughs> our, our 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 viewers' choice. We'd like to talk about Annie's song. <laughs> <laughs> 
Again, we got to keep up within the queue. Those guys have got their finger on the pulse. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so speaking of, of incongruous and, and all of that uh, fun stuff, uh, this is one of the things that ultimately, like, I, I really like this film and enjoyed it a lot. And have enjoyed the more I've thought about it after the fact, the more I enjoyed it, and the more I've sort of returned to it. I've kind of been like, man, I really a lot of parts of this movie really worked for me. But there are those moments, and this happens in Bong Joon Ho films a lot, um, where I, I just I I'm just at a loss for. W- what the decision making was, and in this particular film, that is one hundred percent Jake Gyllenhaal. In this movie, like, there's no question he's having a good time. There's no question he's doing something interesting and new and different for him. Certainly, it's not the Jake Gyllenhaal that we normally see. This manic, frantic guy with a high pitched voice who's all over the map. Um, but he's sort of doing in this movie what. Tilda Swinton was doing in Snowpiercer, um, which I think she was a little bit more effective in that film, which is playing it like way over the top. And in that film, I, I feel like it works really well. In this film, I feel like him doing that thing doesn't work so well. I feel like he's almost stands apart from the other people in the movie and, mm. and feels like a, like he's, he's acting in like a different movie. It just feels like a weird kind of bizarre thing to me. It's a- so Jake Gyllenhaal never, he didn't bother me until he was, and I think it was more of a script issue where Jake Gyllenhaal started to bother me, which was when he was taking samples from Okja. Yeah. Because that's, I think, as an audience member for a moment, I was like, why is he the one doing that? He's a television personality. Yeah. You know, he, he's not an expert in taking animals that he heals and turning them into culinary, you know, yeah. perfect recipes. Um. But, no, even I thought he was fine being over the top, actually. Um, you know, I don't think it's high art. I don't think it had the subtlety of, you <laughs> know, anything Tilda Swinton would be able to do in her sleep. Sure. Or, you know, whatever the main girl, uh, the main girl I thought was fantastic as a stoic, emotional character. But Sure. The one playing yeah. Mija? Yes. Yes. Uh, so Hyun An, I think, is her name. Yeah, she, I want to see in a thousand more films. I hope yeah. she gets the opportunity. Yeah, she was so um, good. But Jake Gyllenhaal didn't mind me, I think, for all the cartoonishness. And perhaps what contributed to that is he was so seldomly in a scene with other people, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's who, true. With people who also had to cartoon it. Um, you know, Tilda Swinton and him had some interaction. You know, that, the, those didn't work, but he didn't really often interact with the ALF people who were also cartoony. Sure. So it never, it didn't strike me that he was so, so over the top compared to everyone else. Yeah. And I know that he is the most common complaint. So I'm probably just being more <laughs> kinder towards the film because I responded to it so strongly. Well, you may, but, you may be onto something there in terms of what I'm reacting to, because like with the ALF people, for instance, I don't have a stronger reaction to, because I feel like it's almost like a, a Keystone Cops kind of, uh, you know, amalgamation of, of goofballs. And somehow that works because you're not spending so much time with any one particular person. But whenever Jake Gyllenhaal's on screen, it's pretty much just him um, and nobody else. And so it's it, it can feel almost like an actor is adrift at times if they, you know, if they're being told to do something directorially that is... Uh, like way different. I also wonder how differently that kind of humor plays to a Korean audience um, versus an American audience. Humor is one of the most difficult things to translate uh, across cultures. Um, it sometimes it works beautifully and sometimes it just falls flat just because of uh, the, the way that different cultures uh, regard comedy. Um, I, I suspect it probably plays better there when you think yeah. about it, um, particularly if you see this film as something that's super cartoonish. You know, cartoons do tend to be exaggerated. Yeah. And I know at least to me, an American, I often find that Asian animation is a little exaggerated to my tastes. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. And there is a whole raft of conventions that go along with, uh, uh, you know, Asian animation that there's almost a learning curve to, to understand what what it all represents, um, you know. 
Yeah, I think that Jake Gyllenhaal was certainly over the top, and I know that it was deliberate. Uh, I think it works for me because he is kind of representing Hollywood, the sure. show, showbiz, the, world of the showbiz. The Steve Irwin character, kind of. Yeah, and I think that's all. I think Bong Joon-ho really wants to satirize that. Sure. Just like he's satirizing big corporations mentality. He really wants to kind of make it seem ridiculous. And um, it, it's also true and a good observation that most of Gyllenhaal's scenes are with Okja or... Or they're not. He's not really part of the ensemble. It seems, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's interacting with uh, what uh, we don't know. Uh, is it a green screen? Is it a a guy in a suit with little globes all over his body? You know, it's like yeah. Uh, yeah. there may be there may have been a different type of process for him, you know, in interacting with with the CGI character. And yeah, you could say that he's acting like he's in a different movie, but I think his 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 real kind of foil is Tilda Swinton in terms of both uh, the what what kind of figure they're both satirizing and also their exaggeration. I sure. mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is more exaggerated, I think, than Tilda Swinton. Although some of her dialogue and her her braces, uh, <laughs> it's all very grotesque. Yeah. And I think uh, I see Bong Joon Ho as like the conductor of this grotesque symphony, you know, kind of <laughs> masterminding everything. That's a that's a, a great. Way to describe Bong Joon Ho. I feel like a conductor of yeah. a grotesque symphony. Now you just have to say it in a Werner Herzog voice. <laughs> conductor of a grotesque symphony. No, that's terrible. That was not even good. I gotta work on my Herzog. Conductor of a grotesque symphony. Let's do it on another podcast. That's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, Okja, I I think is a great fun film. I think it's indicative of Bong Joon-ho's style. I think that it is um, another solid entry in his filmography. Um, I think that he is putting together, as I said in my opening, one of the most fascinatingly diverse sort of filmographies out there. Like, very, very different films. Even though I guess you could kind of classify a lot of them as either thrillers or science fiction films. Um, I, I mean, this could fall into that category. Snowpiercer certainly could fall into that category. The host could certainly fall into that category. Right. Um, but within that, they they somehow feel very different from one another, and they somehow feel very different from other films that also fall into those categories. Um, it's very unique. And anytime, even if even if I don't like a film necessarily, um, anytime I see a film uh, by someone who has a very distinct vision and voice uh it it makes a little part of me very happy <laughs> so uh in this case i happen to like the film um and uh and i also think it's a really fascinating interesting unique film and it's easy to see for everybody out there you just gotta netflix it it's right there for you um couldn't couldn't be easier um provided that you have a netflix account technology truly is incredible it's yeah to all the people yeah yeah, and, and to your point earlier, Phil, I'm glad to see Netflix taking these risks because I think the first few years of Netflix doing original content, they were playing things really safe uh, for the most part. They were making you know, very obvious choices like doing something like House of Cards where you're, you, know, you have David Fincher, executive producing it. You have stars like Kevin Smeezy attached to it. Um, that's pretty much a, a surefire win. Um and Amazon was the studio that was kind of taking the big risks. They were doing the movies like Chirac and The Handmaiden and, you know, interesting, different kind of stuff. So I'm glad to see Netflix taking similar kinds of risks because I think it, it bodes well for for the future of, of this kind of cinema, for the big streamers to be sort of fighting for that real estate. Yeah, and, you know, it could be disappointing, I think, if, people don't get to see Okja in cinemas considering how cinematic it is. But I think the alternative is no one spends $50 million to let Bong Joon-ho <laughs> make a movie this ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sure, it's upsetting that it'll play for one week in New York City and that's its entire theatrical. But yeah, it's better than no Okja at all. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, how'd you feel about it, Phil? I liked it, and it's very strange. I like weird movies, 
and uh, I watched it at home. Um, and I've said this before, but uh, you know, for the cost of one movie ticket in New York City <laughs> to see Oak Street in the theater, you could get like a month's Netflix for free. Uh, <laughs> Couple months. So I of opted Netflix. to. I opted to experience it at home. I really didn't have a choice because it's not playing in theaters anywhere around here. Um, but it's a it has a great cast of grotesques, and um, I enjoyed seeing a CGI character that had a design that was actually yeah. very interesting and original. Uh, there was it was the conception of the character I thought was well done. It's a very lovable creature. It's full of curves and floppy ears and it's it was there was really nothing about it that was not lovable and i think that uh while i am kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to cgi like i don't i'm very skeptical about it and i'm, I'm skeptical about i guess loving a cgi character in a film or becoming <laughs> attached to it sure i think that the technology is definitely getting close enough that i'm about to abandon that belief <laughs> uh and it's a sad story overall, but I think the full, the message behind it, which is what we talked about earlier, I think is very intriguing. And they're not trying to bullshit us by saying everybody can be saved. It's almost mm. like saying, you know, save what you can, save save for yourself, and then just uh, try and be happy. Indeed, Jasper, you have the last word on Oakja. What do you got? Oh, oh my! Um, <laughs> that's so much responsibility. I know, right? Um, so thank you guys for having me. Um, yeah. But no, I just, I think whoever, audiences, I assume everyone who's made it this far has seen it. Like, because there were a lot of spoilers, I assume everyone. So I can't push them to see it. But yeah, no, I encourage people. I know I'm working my way through Bong Jong-ho's, uh, um, Jong I'm sorry, filmography now. And, you know, just... I hope everyone's looking back to if they dug Okja because you know yeah. I'm probably three films in now with No Fears and Mother, and yeah. it's some interesting stuff. You know, it doesn't always work necessarily, but you know I'm glad someone is trying to do these weird movies that are emotionally grounded while still getting a bit fantastical. So yeah. you know, I hope everyone while we look forward also looks back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime. Anytime you have a, a piece that's this intriguing, I think it, it behooves you as, as a, a film goer to investigate the people who have made it happen and really uh, educate yourselves and, and, and find out more and watch more and consume more of what, you know, things that you like. That's all I'll say about that. Mm-hmm. Jasper, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, this was a great conversation. And thank you. We liked having you on here for it. Um, hopefully you'll have some <laughs> suggestions for us in the future. Maybe I won't have to solicit you this time, um, but I do thank you for filling in and doing this podcast. Um, of course. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk again, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Thank you again, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, all of you out there, for listening uh, to our podcast on Okja. Uh, please join us for our next podcast when we'll be talking about the new romantic comedy, The Big Sick which just came out, uh, should be very, very interesting. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani is a star of that one. Uh, and Zoe Kazan, is that right? Yep, Zoe Ruby Kazan. Sparks herself. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so that should, be, that should be a fun conversation as well. We hope you will join us for that, and we will catch you next time. See you then.